Full disclosure, this is my first time teaching in a lecture hall style like this, so I've been pretty nervous about it all week. I did like, I was watching the video, and you guys did a good job of tying Mike down last week. He had a nice stationary mic, but now I got my freedom again. I'm up here and I can do the slight pacing as long as I don't go too far. Uh, the other funny thing is, you can't hear me? Oh, okay, I gotta talk even louder. Okay. I'll try this. All right. See, that leads me to my second point. Usually, I'm the one behind the scenes, the elder in charge of tech. I'm much happier being up there making sure that people sound good than being down here not sounding well because apparently I'm not talking loud enough or I can't even figure out how to, how does this newfangled gadget work, you know? So, appreciate you guys' bearing with me this morning. Um, but God is with us. He'll give us strength and his word will not be without profit. So, Today, we're diving into 1 Peter, and if I could get the guys to go ahead and put the title slide up on here. Um, but the main theme of 1 Peter is how Christians should live as God's holy people in a hostile and sinful world. And he's trying to encourage them through the trials and difficulties that they and ourselves will face. But one of the questions that we can face as Christians is, why be holy? Right? You can think of it as, what's to stop us from just saying the prayer, punching our ticket, so to speak? We know we have eternal salvation. You can be secure in that fact. But why do all the work of striving for holiness? Because it's not easy. You think about it. And I'll admit, the pursuit of holiness in itself kind of leads to this conundrum. Because the more you work to turn away from your sin, the more you become aware of how much sin is in your life, right? You start off and you're like, okay, I'll just focus on this one thing, you know? Well, that's really three things. And then I dig that. Well, that's really ten things. And it just keeps getting more and more work and become overwhelming for I mean, Dave's the history buff, but for anyone, you know, who's done a little bit of study on Martin Luther, when he was trying to reach salvation through his monkdom, right, he would be in confession for hours and hours every day. He was wearing out the confessor because the confessor was tired of hearing about all of Martin Luther's sins. But Martin Luther was keenly aware of how much he was sinning, and it was driving him almost to the point of madness. It's like, I, I can't do it. There's too much, right? Thankfully, we have a hope, right? We have a hope, and that it's not of us. Because if it was by us, we'd never make it. But we also know that this side of heaven, the pursuit of holiness is never going to end, right? We never, hate to break it to you if you didn't read that in your Bible yet, but you never reach perfection this side of heaven, we will always be chasing after it. So Peter's trying to encourage the new believers. Why, why do this? Why chase after something you will never fully attain? And so in this passage that we'll look at, uh, Peter's going to give four reasons why we should pursue holiness and then four ways on how we can do it. So if you haven't already, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 
And we're going to start in verse 13, and we're going to finish out the chapter here. Verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart, for you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. So reason number one we should be holy because of our future hope. Should be holy because of our future hope. Peter tells us to prepare our minds for action, to be self-controlled and set our hope fully on the grace that is to be given to us in Jesus Christ. And I know some of those translations, instead of just self-controlled, it says to gird up the loins of your mind, right? This is not a phrase we use much these days, but the in the days of Peter, right, you would have had the longer tunics that would have gone down to your feet. And so when you were preparing to run or preparing to battle, you would grab those up and you would tie it around your waist. That is girding up your loins. You are prepared for action. You need to be able to move quickly. We're not on leisure. Our minds need to be focused. And the good thing is, what do we need to be focusing on? The revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the good news part of this because our hope is not in anything of this world, but it's on the glorious return of our Savior and the inheritance that he has prepared for us. This hope should motivate us to live in a way that pleases him and reflects his character. Do we understand this hope? Again, Mike talked about this last week. And we can't emphasize enough, this isn't the hope of, man, I hope we have pizza on Friday. I'm really in the mood for that. This is the hope that is a confidence. We know it will happen. We know that our Savior lives. We know that he will return one day. And we know that he's preparing a place for us. With that confidence comes so much hope. Yes, as I said, 
this journey towards holiness is never going to end here. But thanks be to God, there's something better coming, right? We can look forward to one day not having this struggle with sin. And oh, what a day that'll be. Oop, I don't have a slide there. All right. So the way, how do we do this, Peter? You've told us we need to be focusing on our future hope. What's the way? We can be holy by resisting our former evil desires, which Peter talks about in verse 14. Peter reminds us that we are no longer ignorant, we're no longer enslaved to our sinful nature, and we are obedient to God who have been born again by his word. This is really the big difference between an unbeliever and a believer, right? An unbeliever will do what they do and as long as they're doing what feels right to me, do they have any guilt? No, they're doing what feels right. As a believer, though, we know the law. We know the higher standard that God's calling us to. That's what starts to work into us. And we can start to see, oh, that's the evil desires. You become, you're no longer dead to your sin. You can become aware of what's going on. And you can have the power through the Holy Spirit to resist that temptation. Back in Romans 12, too, this reminded that we should not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed, transformed by the renewing of our minds. So again, some of you might be asking, Luke, this is all great. You're talking in words. What do I do? How do I actually do this? So a thought I had this week is that even my little kids, we teach them a song, and they know the words to it. And probably many of you know it. How's the song go? It goes, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. And at its heart, that's what we need to do, right? How, how do we grow as Christians? How do we focus our minds more on God? Read your Bible, pray every day. Yeah, we find that really difficult to do as adults. And this isn't, you know, me judging you guys. This is me speaking. It is hard sometimes, I find, to get those habits going. Our lives get busy with different things, right? And it seems like no matter what I do, I'll try to be like, well, I'll set aside the evening times. And then the evenings get busy with more and more activities until I'm falling asleep. And then I'll try to justify and be like, well, I don't want to be tired while I'm reading God's Word. And then I'll switch and try to be like, well, I'll read in the morning. And I'll get up early. But then, by golly, someone hit the snooze button too many times, and you know, I'm pointing to me. This is not a guy. This is me. And I don't get to that. So I understand. It is work. But it's what we need to do. And really, we need to focus on what's really important, right? If this was at my work, and the CEO said, hey, I'm going to call you at 9 o'clock. We need to discuss some things. Am I going to clear my calendar and make sure I have that 9 o'clock meeting? You betcha. Why can't I have that same mentality about talking to the creator of the universe? I should. We should. Another thing, why do we do this? Why do we need to be reading our Bible? Many of you have probably read the passages, and you're like, ah, Luke, I've already read First Peter. I've already read Proverbs at least three times. 
Why do we need to do it? My son is starting to play basketball, and I remember when I was in high school basketball, our coach, every practice, would have us do dribbling drills. Left hand, right hand, back and forth, behind the back, through the legs. Next practice, left hand, right hand, behind the back, through the legs. Next practice, left hand, right hand, behind the back, through the legs. Over and over and over again. And eventually we get tired, like, coach, we know how to dribble. Why do we keep doing this? Why? Because when it was game time and the pressure was on and the defender's coming, it needed to be automatic. I didn't need to think about it. I didn't need to be like, oh, man, how do I do this? You would just automatically respond. The same thing needs to be in our walk, right? If you know your Bible and have it constantly in your mind and those thoughts are at the forefront, as soon as temptation comes to you, it's going to be, I don't even need to think about that. I'm going this way. You have those examples, right? I love in Genesis where we've got the story of Joseph and he has temptation with Potiphar's wife. Joseph didn't be like, let me get back to you. I'm going to think about this an hour. I need, I need to pray. I'm going to go to my prayer closet and do this. No. Joseph immediately knew, this is wrong. This is what God says. I'm out of here. So that's why, right? There's a knowledge, right? We have, even in the secular world, people will study the Bible. They will have a knowledge of what's in it. But do you really know the words, and are they on your heart so that you can be prepared so that just like that young teenager on the basketball team, you need to have those drilled into your mind so when the time comes, you'll be ready. We don't always, unfortunately, have the ability in the heat of the moment to be like, hmm, okay, I'm going to go off and do my Bible study and then make a decision. You need to be ready when the pressure's on. You need to know what the Bible says and be able to turn from temptation. Reason number two, why should we be holy? We should be holy because of God's command. We need to be holy because of God's command. Peter quotes from Leviticus 19, verse 2, where God says, Be holy because I am holy. And in case that's not clear, that's not a suggestion that's written there, is it? This is a requirement for those who belong to God. God is holy. And we'll drill it in. What does that mean? What does it mean to be holy? It means to be separate from evil and sin. 100% all the way. Not, well, I've got it 99% covered, but there's this one little thing that mm, I just really like. I'm going to keep it around. Because of God's holiness, he is calling us to be holy. He calls us to share in his holiness. To be holy is to be like God, to reflect his image in glory. That's part of our name, right? To be image bearers. Are we reflecting that image in our walk? Do people look at you and know, you know, there's something different about the way Luke lives? Or is it more, that guy's just as rotten a sinner as I am? Do they see the difference? Is there a separation, something that makes us distinct in our walk? You know, when God chose the nation of Israel and established their laws, it was to illustrate this concept, right? Why did they have so many laws? Why did they have to, you know, 
with the food laws, the clothing laws. This is what we pick on often uh, in today's society. I love a good piece of bacon. Was there anything so terrible about the Israelites eating bacon? It was to make them separate, to make them distinct. They needed to be different from the rest of the people around them. It was God's way of making people who were set apart and different, and they needed to trust in him to be faithful. And admittedly, they did a terrible job at fulfilling that goal. But the laws that they were given were to help drive them towards holiness, to being separate, to being different, to being cast away from the sin. So that's reason number two, because of God's command. What's the way? How do we do this? We can be holy by revering God as our Father and our Judge. In verse 17, Peter tells us to live as strangers here in a reverent fear, knowing that we call on our Father, the God of the universe, who judges each person's work impartially. And if you think about it, that can give you joy and fear all at the same time, right? He's a just God, right? You wouldn't want to say he's an unjust, right? If you're going to trial, you don't want an unjust God. But if he doesn't show any impartiality, every sin that I do that he knows about, that's a sobering thought. Am I living my life that way? Do I know that the one that I call his father sits as judge? God is not only our loving father, but he's also our righteous judge who reward or punish us according to our deeds. And so we should fear him not in a slavish way, you know, oh, you know, he's going to strike us down with lightning if you don't uh, straighten up today. But it's in a respectful way more as children um, are called to honor their parents, right? We try to teach our kids, you know, um, to be respectful of mom and dad. If they start mouthing off to cat, I have to remind them, hey, mom is not your friend. You don't get to talk to her like that as if we're just buddies and buddies. There needs to be a healthy respect there. There needs to be the obedience. Reason number three, why should we be holy? We should be holy because of Christ's redemption. I see this in verses 18 through 21, being holy because of Christ's redemption. Peter reminds us of the high price that was paid for our salvation. We weren't redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. And it's kind of interesting if you think about that, you know, ah, it's not like you were redeemed with something terrible, silver or gold. Man, I wish I had some silver and gold. That's some good stuff, right? But what we were bought with is so much higher. We were bought with the precious blood of Christ the sinless Lamb of God, the beloved of the Father. Christ was chosen 
before the creation of the world, it says, right? He was full. See, I look at my, side note, my wife helps me remember that I need to slow down, which is a good thing, but then I get tongue-tied up here, so apologies for that. Christ was foreknown before the creation of the world, and this isn't a, you know, he would later be born. It was never a, okay, got the garden, got Adam and Eve, everything's perfect, we're set, right? They're going to, ah, what did they do? They messed it all up. What should we do, guys? Adam and Eve sinned. Okay, we, we'll come up with a plan. That's not what happened, right? From the very beginning, God had a plan of illustrating how holy, how good, how merciful he was. I love when we get to do sometimes the studies, and if you haven't, I certainly encourage you, of doing a Jesus in the Old Testament. Because it will help you to see, again, that it wasn't a, hey, we had an Old Testament plan, and okay, toss that to the side. New Testament plan, this is what we're going. It was, here's the whole plan from Genesis through Revelation of Christ's redemptive work. And when you have that better understanding, as I said, from the very beginning, this was the plan that God's own son would come to earth. He would never sin, but would have to take my place on the cross. As the song says, right? It was my sins that nailed him there. I can be grateful that we don't live in a society that does crucifixion but that also sometimes hides the fact of I don't think I fully understand what kind of death that was. As I said, this is the plan from before the world began, but it was revealed in these last times, as Peter's writing, for our sake. Through Christ, we can believe in God and God raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so our faith and hope are in God. Christ's redemption is the basis and the goal of our holiness. He died to set us free from sin and to make us holy for himself. Do we take the time to appreciate that price that he paid? Does it make you value the gift more? I was trying to cope with an illustration, and there was nothing that measures in value to the blood of my Savior, but the closest I could think is, if someone bought you a brand new home, two stories, seven bedrooms, five bathrooms, it's fully furnished, they brought in the best interior designer, everything's immaculate, it's spotlessly clean, how would you treat that house? Would you walk through it with your muddy shoes every day? Would you just throw your stuff on the floor? Would you trash it? Or would you strive to maintain it, right? You recognize that the gift that you've been given is valuable. It came with a high price. And so, in the same way, our redemption from sin, the ability to turn from sin, comes with a price beyond measure the blood of Christ. 
And so it's only right that we should strive for holiness since our salvation with bought, was bought with such a precious gift. Third way. Hey, that was the reason. I got to have myself, didn't I? That was the reason. What's the way? How do we do this? Verses 22 to 23. We can be holy by loving one another sincerely. Peter tells us that we have purified ourselves by obeying the truth and that we should want love one another deeply from the heart. Our love for one another is the evidence and expression of our holiness. We are not only saved individually, but as a community of God's people. We are born again by his living and enduring word. And we should love one another as brothers and sisters, as members of the same family, as fellow heirs of the same grace. Do we show that love for one another? Have you talked to someone new this week? Do you recognize that the people around you are your fellow heirs in Christ? Again, I'm talking to myself. There's almost 200 of us that come regularly. I do not know all 200 of you by name yet. I'm working on it. But that's the goal. And it's easy. It's easy to sit and I'll point out that's my little spot over there. That's where we sit. And I'll know the 10 people around me. But it takes effort. But it's worth it. It is worth it. Again, the people who sit in the back right were bought with the same precious blood as me. <laughs> That's not a discouragement on any seats. I'm just saying, these are your brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Do you love one another? Our hope as elders, we've been kicking off these discipleship groups, and that's a part of it too, right? It's not a we want to keep tally sheets on everyone. We want to love. How do we grow the body? How do we help us grow to be more like Christ? The command to be his disciples means to continue to grow. We are commanded to be holy. And so again, we need to work on showing that love for one another. Reason number four, why are we to be holy we should be holy because of God's word. In verses 24 through 25, Peter writes that we should be holy because of God's word. Peter contrasts the fleeting nature of human life and the glory with the eternal nature of God's word. The quote here is from Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8. And the prophet proclaimed the frailty of human flesh and the faithfulness of God's words. All people are like grass. All their glory, every achievement we might achieve in this life is like the flowers of the field. They wither and the flowers fall. Again, it's hard as humans to get a good grasp of time. The closest I can think is we live in America, right? Hoorah. We have 200 plus years of history 
do you know how small that is compared to some of the other nations? The next biggest, you know, that you might say, well, what about England, you know, where we came before? 2,000 years of history. And then China and Egypt say, you've got 2,000? Let's talk about 4,000 years of history, right? Will anything I do in this life be measured on that scale for 4,000 years? No. At the end of the day, it's useless. My wife and I were talking last night about Ecclesiastes and getting a better understanding of how that is. And great Solomon writes that it's vanity, right? It's fleeting. It's not going to last. And so when we think, okay, what do our actions really matter? Well, on the other hand, we do have something in our lives, each of you hopefully today, that does stand the test of time, and that's God's Word. We are like grass that withers and fades, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. Amen? God's Word is the source and the standard of our holiness. I can appreciate that it doesn't change. It's not a, hey, we've got a new election cycle. Let's change the Bible around and see what the new morality laws are. What are we going to follow? No. This is God's Word, and year after year after year, what does it say? What has God told us to do? And it is the Word that gives us life. It's the Word that guides us in how to live that life. This is what God's called us to be. We are to be holy because of God's Word. He's given us the instruction. We even have the additional benefit over the people that Peter is writing to in that we have all of God's word, right? Again, little blessings. You can be adding this to your list of things to be praying for, that you're thankful for, that you have the complete word of God, that each of us probably has access to multiple translations or multiple copies of the word of God. Do you know how odd that is on the grand scheme of world history? to have the complete Word of God at our fingertips? Because it is. And we can be thankful for that. So the fourth way, how do we do this? How do we be holy because of God's Word? We can be holy by craving God's Word. My youngest right now loves candy. Halloween has broken her. Every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, can we have candy? It's gotten so bad where she at least knows that she only gets candy after lunch or dinner. And so we can be sitting down eating oatmeal, and she's like, is this lunchtime? It's not that she has no concept of time. She just knows if it's lunchtime, I get candy. Or at least I've got a better shot of getting candy. We need to have that same craving for God's Word. Do you look forward to it? Peter tells us to get rid of of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. And I'm going to steal a little bit into chapter 2 because some of it continues, and chapter 2 starts with therefore, which I think means it ties back to my passage, right? And here that we're teaching today. But we're to crave the pure spiritual milk like newborn babies 
so that by it we may grow in our salvation. God's word is like the food that nourishes our soul. It enables us to grow in grace and knowledge. I talked about for reason number one, if you need to be in your word, you need to know it so that you're ready for defense when temptation comes. But do you also read it because it helps you grow? Right? There are so many encouraging things in there. You can't live long in this world without going through some sort of trial that will almost bring you to your knees. And you have to ask, why? Why is there so much pain? And I love that in those times, we can turn to God's Word, which is eternal. There are so many psalms uh, that I appreciate. Things that can comfort us. Things that we can use to comfort others, right? So you can combine. If you know God's Word, it's comforting you. You can also care and love for one another when they need to be comforted. What does this hunger and thirst look like? I think the psalmist said it best, right? As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. I'll continue my sports analogy. Have you ever seen the runners after a marathon or basketball players after it's been an intense fourth quarter? What are they always rushing out there with? That water, right? Give me that water. I need it. I'm thirsty. I need more. That's what it means, right? I need God's word. And if you can develop this need, that thirst for it, it helps with number one, right, of developing that practice. It doesn't need to become a, oh, it's time to check another box. I guess I'll sit down, read my Bible. Okay, did that for the day. No. We're trying to get to that love, right? Where, yes, it's time for my meeting with the creator of the universe. It's time where I can sit with him, with the Father, and learn more about what he has to say. Now, I'll admit, it won't be like that every day. There are certainly days where it can become, and it feels like rote, like, I'm really having a rough day, I don't feel like reading my Bible, but I know I should, and so I need to do it. And so I can emphasize, I know that it's easy to say, read your Bible again. But it won't be for naught, right? That is another promise that we have. That reading your Bible and studying it will not have, I'm doing a double negative, will always have an effect on our lives. So, try to find ways to renew your thirst. If that excitement of those early days of when you came to Christ, where you were eager to learn as much as you could, if that feeling's faded, how do we get it back? Is it, do you start to feel pressure because maybe you've got one of those reading schedules and you missed a day? And then you missed another day, and suddenly I'm three days behind, 
and it feels like work or school, and like, oh, my big project's due. I don't have it ready. I don't have it ready. I don't want your time with God to be stressed over, I'm behind on the schedule, I'm behind on the schedule. I want it to be, God, what, what do you want me to learn today? And so if you're behind on a schedule and that's giving you pressure, give yourself the freedom to say, forget the schedule. If you want to spend a whole week on one verse and that one verse is growing and encouraging you and you're getting more out of it, spend the week on the one verse. The schedule is more like guidelines to help you get through it. This is what we need to be focused on. Another suggestion I would add is as you're doing your reading and going to the Word, do it with a friend. Do it with someone else. Have someone who you can share with, right? Have someone that after you're reading, I can be like, Mark, let me tell you about what I've been learning this week. I hadn't realized this before, you know, but this is what Ecclesiastes is about. And in return, they can be sharing with you, right? Maybe Mark's doing a study over Hebrews, and he wants to share with me, you know, hey, I've discovered who the author of Hebrews is. <laughs> or some other beneficial information. But we need each other, right? You can't get through this life solo, and having someone who will be your friend and share with this is not only the encouragement, but they'll hold you accountable, right? Ecclesiastes 4.9 says that two are better than one because if one of them falls, the other can help the other up. Again, I hate to break it to you if you thought the Christian life, you eventually achieve this perfect holiness and then it's smooth sailing from there here on earth because it's not. There will continue to be temptations. You will fall. You will struggle. But if you've got a brother or sister in Christ who's there for you, you and be like, hey, Carol, I notice you haven't been messaging me. Let's encourage. Let's talk about what you're learning in the Word, and that'll help drive us back. And that'll help build those habits so you can be like that silly basketball player doing his drills so even 20 years later he can do them without thinking about it. Bringing it home. So Peter exhorts us to live as God's holy people because of our future hope, because of God's command, because of Christ's redemption and God's word. He also shows us how we can do it by resisting our former evil desires, by revering God as father and judge, loving one another sincerely, and craving God's word. These are the reasons of why we need to be holy. So let's heed his call and pursue holiness. For without the holiness, no one will ever see the Lord. Amen. Bow with me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for being the righteous judge. Thank you for being our Father. Thank you for the blood of Christ, which was shed to save our souls. Help us to value that immense gift 
that was given for us. Give us hearts that thirst for you, that want to follow you, that want to know more about who you are. Prepare our hearts and our voices now as we prepare to worship you. May it be a sweet sound in your ear. In your son's precious name, amen.